Okay, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, a podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and learn about other cultures. My name is Nosa Yari, and welcome to another episode. Um, you guys have to tell me if that intro is something that's interesting because it's like muscle memory now. I don't know, maybe it's something you guys have got used to, but I digress. Uh, today I have on the podcast Grace Nihonku. Did I get that pronunciation correct? Pretty close. Yeah, Nihonku. Nihonku. Got it, got it, got it. Well, welcome to the podcast, Grace. How's it going? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, we were just talking about the time difference, weren't we? So it's like you've given me the nice, comfortable time of three o'clock on a Saturday here. I've had my my fry and my big like meal, and I'm like just easing into the afternoon. And you're up at eight a.m. You poor thing. <laughs> right, right. And I've been up for a while actually. I, I was up for most of the night, but that's okay. You know, uh, I've I've done this a couple of times. Um, England, the UK is not too bad. Um, whenever I'm interviewing someone from Australia, now that's a challenge. <laughs> Because the time difference is so much. It's almost like 20 hours or something ridiculous. So it's like bad on both sides. But, you know, um, welcome to the podcast. And you're currently in Ireland, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm Irish. And uh, that's, yeah, why my name is such a bit of a a struggle is I use the Irish version of my name. Um, So in Ireland, we have uh, our mother tongue, which we call Irish and everyone else calls Gaelic. um, And it's Gaelga is the name of it. and yeah, so everyone has an Irish and an English version of their surname or sometimes even their forename. Interesting. Um, one, I, wait, yeah. I, I didn't know that. So what's the, what's the English ver- version of your name, for instance? O'Donoghue. O'Donoghue? O'Donoghue. O'Donoghue. Got it. Got it. Got it. Oh, that's uh, interesting. So why is there a, a difference? And that might be an ignorant question, but this is Culture Class Podcast. but. Uh, I guess that makes sense. Is it kind of like a Richard and Bill situation? Or um, I, I guess where I'm from, you know, some people, they might be named like, I don't know, like in Ghana, like Mensa might mean something else in English or something. Is it something like that? Kind of like that. It's down to, um, I think, something you've covered on your podcast before, colonization, you know. Um, so I don't, uh, I'm not at all an expert in Irish history, but um you know, it, it was a country that was very decentralized and tribe-based from a European Celt. And uh, we get a lot of like gorgeous mythic and folklore stuff from that. And it was, a um, we had lots of different gods and goddesses and we named the country after Eru, which was the, the main maternal god, goddess at the time. And then we had 800 years of British colonization um, and hence the language and during that time the language was made illegal and our religious practices were made illegal and Christianized then. Um, so before that they were Christianized and then uh, the country was mostly Catholic and then during the English colonization um, it was made illegal to practice that Catholicism as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so we um, we yeah, we still use Irish language in education. Um, and it's still, um, it's very similar to Scottish Gaelic. Like I can have a conversation with someone who's speaking Scottish Gaelic and I understand them and they understand me, but we can actually speak each other's language, you know, which is, it's really fun when I meet them. I love it. Um, and, um, yeah, so, um, in our education system, we still have like Irish as a language with some schools that you learn every subject through Irish. And I attended one of them. And 
um, there's there's allowances. So like, you know, if, if you're dyslexic or if you speak in language um, differences, you know, you can be exempted from it, but it's it's mandatory. Otherwise, they're they're making attempts to really preserve the language. Um, all our road signs, everything else is like got the English word and the Irish word. And Interesting. Um, yeah. And then most Anglican names would have an Irish version of it, or they would be derived from an Irish word, like breed is an Irish, um, it's an Irish name, and it would be like Bridget in English, because of the spelling, it has a silent G right. in Irish, and then the English pronounced it, you know, and uh, you know the way, I don't know if you're familiar with Irish popular culture or anything, but we um, just just here and there. I live in America, so you know the extent mm -hmm. of it is like you know St. Patty's Day, you know, yeah, and all the the pop culture references, Irish crickets, uh, and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's about it. Oh, I didn't even know the Irish crickets. <laughs> oh no, that's a that's like a bro thing. It's just uh, uh, the sound a beer oh. can makes when you open it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> 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 that's really funny right, right, right yeah i mean the big thing with saint patrick is um like he was you know he drove out the snakes in ireland and that's symbolism for christianity so pa patrick was actually a bishop um and you know he came over to ireland and had a role in um like driving out the pagan culture and the celtic uh religion and practices that were there and converting it into um into christianity but uh it's really funny because there's still so many echoes of it like you would find in other you know indigenous um who do that's the one i was reading about recently where like some of the catholic saints are um brought into the practice as well um even though it's quite a like really like it's quite a magical based practice and all this stuff you would consider not christian um right. so in ireland we're still very superstitious you know and a lot of our history is preserved because of the belief it was bad luck to even go to these places, you know. Um, so we have lots of um, like older buildings, we've lots of ruins, we have lots of countryside. So anywhere where trees or mushrooms or anything grows in a circle called a fairy ring. And it was really believed that the fairies, there was fairies lived in these and you would get bad luck if you stepped inside them or interfered with them or you know a lot of farmers if they went to clear the land and took down something like that it was um yeah it was it was bad luck so a lot of it is still standing and preserved and yeah there's like if there was if there was folklore about a specific tree being associated with a story or a haunting um yeah it was just it was just left there it was preserved you know so there's there's a lot of reverence for these things you know it's pretty interesting to to see you know sometimes um you know as particularly here in america like um once uh uh someone is like white or caucasian like you just tend to like write people off sometimes that oh you know um the culture is not as strong or how how would i put this or you know you don't see a lot of white people practice their culture when you think about societies like the irish or the italians you know there is a strong like cultural heritage that's still preserved like to today even in other parts of the world like outside like ireland and 
and Ilian's refreshing. Uh, actually, uh, you, you know, you talking about all that stuff, and you you actually moved to the UK, right? You grew up in Ireland, right? And mm-hmm. you moved to to England. Like, uh, how how long were you in Ireland? And um, was there any type of uh, culture shock in a way when you moved to England? How old were you when you moved? Um, so I was 26, 27 when I moved. And that, that was really interesting on a lot of different levels. Um, first thing I noticed, like my first impressions around like culture shock was um, there was definitely, you know, w- with Irish people, there's always a bit of mischief. You know, we're very well known for like being a lot of fun and kind of like always getting into trouble and we've got a very complicated relationship with authority you know (laughs) um, so yeah going to a country that didn't have those things it was you know and it's something oh don't want to call it loads of country but it's something a lot of Irish people say about like especially southern England um, that you know they're just not as much fun (laughs) as we are right you know? <laughs> but everyone is like prim first... and proper kind of thing <laughs> especially because i moved to like a well quite wealthy areas of um england so i moved to reading which is like a commuter town to london so it's a lot of like very london professionals living in that area and then i moved to oxford which is very a tale of two cities you know it's very prim very proper and that that real English stereotype you have um, of like English people being very, um, yeah, straight laced, but then pockets of it were very low socioeconomic and were more um, rough and ready and like had a lot of different like cultural diversity than in those areas. Um, So it depended where you went, but being my age and that I am white and that, you know, I had a middle-class job, I did end up hanging around a lot of the more so prim and proper scale of things um but you know like culture is so interesting because yeah for me when I first moved over and I was with work friends and stuff they'd be like oh my god no one curses you know and I just noticed like <laughs> like Irish people curse is that a thing all the time what about yeah. kids what about kids do kids curse as well yeah like you wouldn't protect kids like you know like you you wouldn't kids know they don't shouldn't curse and they shouldn't do it in front of adults but adults don't really censor themselves cursing in front of kids here at all and like yeah in a professional context obviously like if you're a teacher or something but like yeah if you're just sitting around at home you'd be like bouting away and like yeah you you wouldn't really like it depends yeah and it depends it's a it's a it's a generational thing as well because like my you know my granddad was very catholic and he was that old school very bought into the catholic church thing and he would bless himself every time someone cursed so like we'd go visit and he'd be blessing himself for most of the visit like oh man <laughs> he must have been ble- i was about to say he must have been blessing himself throughout like what, what were some of the what are some of the most popular used curses in ireland and is there a curse that's not necessarily known that's like specific to ireland like besides like the fuck yous and whatever uh that maybe is a common place in ireland yeah there's there's like some of the famous ones like you know we say shite or feck as a like shite i don't know yeah instead of shit got it interesting so i don't know there's this kind of thing like fuck and shit are worse to say. So you like shite and feck are like not as bad curse words. 
<laughs> Interesting. What about what, what about if you're with your girl? She's like, I wanted you to fuck me, kind of thing. Like, oh, do I, do I grab some cutlery oh, yeah. or do I what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just then kidding. we would say we would say ride for that. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Say, what yeah. about a taxi? Like, if if you're taking hot. a taxi, what do you use for that? Because <laughs> <laughs> if I tell my taxi driver, can, can you give me a ride? It's like what? <laughs> like finally. <laughs> I might mean something else, I mean, right? It's one way to make a lot of tips as a taxi driver. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Let me let me ask you this. So you identify as um, your pronouns are she, they. Uh, you you mm-hmm. identify as a queer feminist uh, and a sex positive uh, individual. What was more difficult moving to a new country? Was it the culture shock or the things you had to go through culturally? or the things you might have to have gone through given maybe your sexual preferences or your lifestyle kind of thing? Yeah, that's a really good question because it was like, in some ways I felt more at home in England because... Wow, really? All those cultures, um, like those communities are in Ireland, don't get me wrong, but they're very small, you know? Um, Ireland's gone through a massive cultural revolution in even in my time like so in the time I've been alive homosexuality was legalized uh contraception was legalized divorce was only legalized in the 90s wait 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 um, wait, 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 wait wait divorce was legalized so wait yeah. if you were oh the catholicism yeah okay that makes sense so what happened in the 70s yeah. like people just just toughed it out in a bad marriage or or what yeah yeah, or just live separately if you could bear it because the shame is another massive aspect of mm. Irish culture. No, societal you know? societal pressure is one thing. I'm Nigerian, right? So we have that societal pressure that divorce is a bad thing. But that doesn't mean that a judge won't grant you a divorce if you want to pursue it no, legally. No, it was like it was illegal. Wow, interesting. Illegal. You know, I would, I would think that England would be more conservative than Ireland. I might be wrong. Like, I would think like a lot of those things are, are more free, but maybe tying back to the religion, as you said, um, that yeah. really took a foothold on, you know, shaping the society itself. Uh, but I'm sorry, I caught you short in the middle there. I was trying to say, so which was more difficult to navigate uh, when you Yeah, so, so like I said, in, in Ireland, those communities are there, but they're, you know, I would say in terms of like progression and um, being less conservative, I would say, England is about 10 years ahead of Ireland just that's my opinion um but you know it's it's usually legalized things like this and made those steps before we have um so in some ways then as you know as a queer person as a sex positive person I was able to you know like um let's say if I went to like a queer meetup group there would be 50 60 people instead of the one in my city, which is which is the second biggest city in the country, um, had like um, maybe tw- like twenty, you know. So those communities were bigger. There was more people. There was more events. There was there was just you know. And as a result, you feel more at home because it's like oh, there's these people and they look like me and they act like me and they have similar beliefs to me and it's not a big deal. And everyone around them is kind of acclimatized to this diversity more so and. There's also a lot more racial diversity in England for a longer period of time than there has been for Ireland. You know, like when I went to school, there was there was like one or two black kids in like a school of like hundreds, like 500. 
and like I had a French hemp pal and she came to visit and she was like there's no black people here what's happening like you know and this is my later teens when I was like 17 you know um so like in terms of as a culture experiencing oh people are here and you know people are different and they believe different things and you know they look different and you know and and that that's okay and we survive and if anything it really benefits the country and it gives us all a lot more freedom to to be ourselves and be non-conforming in different ways that the you know Ireland as a country has taken longer to get that way so when I moved in 2013 to England it was just so lovely to be in a country that was further along the tracks in that but right. what's interesting about England is that their complete lack of awareness about their colonial history, you know. Um, so I really, I, th- I like, thought it would be represented on every, in every building you look at. <laughs> I mean, it is, but they just don't know that. You know? Right. Maybe for, <laughs> you know, like, maybe for the colonized. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I recognize this guy, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's one particularly awful um, character, Oliver Cromwell. Um, and he, yeah, he just was re- responsible for a lot of the horrendous things that happened in Ireland. And, you know, his his statue is really close to Buckingham Palace, you know, and it's a it's a Irish tradition to go and, and get a photo of you giving giving him the finger. The you finger. Know? <laughs> like... <laughs> I loved Irish. Like, I, I probably should. Have... <laughs> the more you talk about it, the more I think I need to visit Ireland. Oh, my um... God. Come over. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Like, but let's talk about some of your, like you said, you moved to England when you were 26 and you, you experienced more freedom in Ireland. Talk to me a little bit about your journey. You know, uh, were you a teenager, preteen when you knew that, oh, you were not like, as they would say, like, uh, you know, a, a regular Joe, like, you know, you, you knew that there was something different about you being, you know, your sexuality or how you wanted to identify yourself. And how was it like, like, knowing that but living in a country who just legalized divorce for heaven's sakes in the 90s you know what was that struggle like maybe internally in your family and even in the broader society um i think you know and i don't know how many irish people will i like identify with this i started talking about this a bit more with my friends recently but um the irish catholicism it was it was based on um a very strict dogmatic french practice of Catholicism that was very heavy on original sin and very heavy on you know penance um and praying for forgiveness and you know we make our first confession when we're seven you know so at seven years old you go into a room with a priest on your own and you tell him the bad things you've done and he'll tell you you need to say 10 of this prayer and whatever of this prayer and yeah so for me as um you know I think I was a sensitive kid you know I don't think everyone experienced this um but for me as a sensitive kid I really internalized that sense of like there's something wrong with me you know and um there's something about me that is inherently not good enough and not okay and I felt different very young you know and you know like now you've got all these different diagnoses and there's a lot more awareness of neurodivergence and maybe maybe I would have met the criteria for something because I was always in trouble for school for not paying attention Mm. um but um but yeah I just I just really felt like something's something's wrong with me something's not okay I think I'm 
I can't seem to get anything right. And um, in Ireland, we, we gained our independence in 1922 from the English and the Catholic Church very much got written into our state and into our education and our health system. So uh, how does a church get written into a health system? Oh, abortion and stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like like Mm. in 20, like in 2015, there was one of the major hospitals in Dublin turned down a trial of a new treatment because to go on it, the women that would have to go on it would have to go on contraception for the time they were on the trial. Wow. 2015. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't, I think what happened and from my research, what I think happened is Ireland fought for its independence, you know? And so for so many years, it was like, you're not allowed to practice your culture. You're not allowed to practice your religion, which was Catholicism. So then we got our independence and we got our identity back. And as part of that, it was like our Catholicism you know, our religious practices. So I think people really doubled down on this identity as as a Catholic, as an Irish Catholic. And it's really only recently, it feels like those two identities, being Irish and being Catholic, are becoming separate. Um, And it being a new state and everything, um, there was a lot that wasn't, uh, there was a lot that was the norm for, the church to already be running institutions that were seen as charitable so then that overlapped with health so like we help the sick therefore we're we're, we run hospitals oh we uh, help the poor and homeless therefore we end up in control of what now it's called social services you know and it just got written into law and protocol again and again to a point it was ensnared you know so 97 percent of irish schools today are still catholic and if you have a child who isn't baptized catholic um catholic kids are prioritized for places in those schools so it's this kind of vicious cycle because you have to get your child baptized or else i was going to say how do how do they know your bat is there like a database like a national database for baptism for baptized individuals kind of thing like is he on your driver's license or something it's not on your driver's license but i presume there is a database yeah interesting i presume there is yeah so like my experience going to school was we had to pray three times a day um morning lunchtime home time and each of those prayers at some point mentioned sin and forgive us. So it's three times a day <laughs> that like, I'm getting this message like, yeah, shit is not okay. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, <laughs> no, this, this is, this and, is very intriguing to me because I'm, I'm Nigerian, right? And I used to think like religion was very, very, or let me say Christianity in particular was, you know, really prevalent in Africa, obviously due to colonization. This is like the first time I'm hearing from an individual who comes from a Western country talking about religion in this manner. Like I would never have known that, you know, a Western country took religion this seriously, you know, that, you know, had it ingrained in the constitution and things like that um would you say that also led to some form of patriarchal or patriarchy in the society maybe um against women as well uh growing up in ireland absolutely absolutely you know it's it's um the church is like male dominated women still cannot hold positions of power that are available to men 
in the Catholic Church. And um, there was a lot, you know, because one of the massive parts of um, original sin and that you're inherently bad was, was around sexuality, you know. So there was a lot of like separating the girls from the boys, very young and kind of like that mixing together was on some level like deeply wrong even yeah even as a kid that it was there was something not right about that and um you know that's on top of just how the patriarchy is embedded in any western civilization anyway you know i think it's really hard to disentangle how much of that you know was um on a bigger scale how much of that was the general patriarchy being the patriarchy or the catholic church reinforcing it you know uh, one aspect that was definitely, definitely patriarchal and terrible, though, was around single mothers. Um, so I think it's quite common in a lot of countries for single mothers to be the bottom rung of society. But in Ireland, there was this specific trend where as part of like opening, um, as part of running what is now social services, the church built uh, mother and baby home mother and, and baby home wait yeah. does this mean that and child support is not a thing in ireland no the um the catholic church actually fought back against the government when they started bringing in things like child support so what happens to the father he just goes up and starts oh. another family yeah just wow. has a great time well so, i know yeah. a lot of so nigerian men who want to relocate to ireland just because <laughs> 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 I joke, guys. Don't come for me. Don't come for me. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe that because, you know, you grew up in a society too. You were like 26-year-old that had all these problems with, you know, church and state being together, you know, certain level of patriarchy, all that stuff. And then from my research for this interview, it was as if you tried to find solace in like personal relationships, in communities that were open to, you know, your identity and things like that. And in those safe places, you experience, in some of them, not all of them, you experience some form of emotional abuse. First, am I correct with making that assumption? Like, it's almost like you're you're leaving, like, I'm not sure if it's like frying pans of fire, but you're leaving one situation and you're going somewhere where you think you'll be safe and you're facing another thing. And how do you, how does one even start to realize emotional abuse since it's something you've done research into just for the benefit of our listeners. Yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, I think I think this is a really important topic because um, it's very hard to spot emotional abuse as it is in a lot of mainstream uh, facilities and then, or mainstream um, constructs, social constructs, like relationships. Um, and yeah, then my journey was like, I just wanted to try everything, you know? <laughs> so I joined other spiritual programs, uh, some of which were, yeah, a bit cult-like. And I tried other relationship formats like polyamory. And um, within, th within those two realms, I've had the best time of my life and I'm still doing them, you know? I'm still open to lots of different ways of relating and I'm still open to all kinds of different spiritual experiences, including Christianity. Actually, I had a great time exploring Christianity um, in, in, in England, which was really healing. Um, but yeah, I, I think anywhere where there is power, um, there's going to be opportunists uh, who are going to take that opportunity to abuse people, you know? 
and everything is power because we live under the patriarchy we live under racism we live under you know white supremacy so yeah i um i think for me one of the biggest things i did around spotting and healing my own tendency to, to keep ending up in these situations was healing my past you know so because i'd grown up in this construct of like there's this organization it's meant to be taking care of you it you know god, god is good and powerful and you should be so grateful but also you, you know <laughs> like also i'm terrible and also he's really angry at me but for like no reason um so i think that made it really hard for me to spot what was healthy or not because that's what i knew that's what i thought was healthy like is that that there is this man in your life who is angry at you even when you don't make mistakes and who you need to do your best to please all the time you know and convince that you're a good person so yeah so i met um i met this guy when i moved to england and um yeah and kind of my self-esteem was so low i just kind of thought like it was amazing anyone would want to date me never mind actually like like now my list of things i want if someone dates me is quite long you know <laughs> like i just had no right. standards i was like if you want to date me i'm down you know <laughs> like right. and um you know i i um as a result when things happened that i wasn't okay with i felt like i couldn't i couldn't say anything and then when i did i was given the runaround and i think that's the biggest thing in emotional abuse is that um you know like I use this example in every interview, but you know, if you said to me, oh, you know, or it's quite, it's quite a quirk thing as well for people to be like, Grace girl, you know, or like whoever you're meeting, you call them girl. And um, I don't mind being called girl, but like, just say if I was like, oh, actually, I don't really like being called girl. Could you like use this word instead or just avoid it? And, you know, healthy, happy friends and family members and your partners will say, of course, to any request like that, that isn't damaging to them you know and with this person it was like everything was a debate you know everything was up for um like that discussion would not be the two-word sentence it needed to be you know it would be a huge discussion about how hurt he was um so instead of it being a conversation about hey i need this thing can i get it it became me having to take care of him because he's been really hurt by the suggestion that he does anything wrong which is ridiculous you know so you're, you're treading on eggshells pretty much yeah yeah so then the next time i want to say oh i have a boundary can you can you not do that i avoid saying it because it's like i don't have the two fucking hours to argue with you you know are you and saying that's a little controversial and i don't want to twist your words so um tell me if i'm wrong are you saying um, in as much as there's someone who's perpetrating that abuse in any kind of relationship that the um, victim also has some type of responsibility in a sense that they don't confront the situation or that's just me overthinking it no i think it's fair to hear that from what i was saying but what i mean by that is that the situation was created that i would avoid you know so it'd be like every time i try and say something about me and something i need and something that's important to me it turns into an argument so i i'm just going to stop doing that because i'm so frightened and sick of our argument sick of our know? argument can i play devil's advocate a little bit and this is me mm -hmm. doing my own confession even though i'm not seven years old like i have been in relationships where 
I'm a little dismissive. And I'm sorry if this comes out, I'm sorry to listeners, like it just comes out as a little patriarchal. Like I have, this is me confessing that I've been in previous relationships where I've been dismissive, where my partner tells me that I don't like this. But before I make those changes, I want to see, like, I try to see consistency. And I don't know, obviously this is not all women. I'm just like for that particular person, because I did as someone who changed her mind a lot and sometimes even tested me. Like, you know how sometimes women would test men and say, oh, let me see if, you know, I don't know. Like, it's this weird relationship. Let me see if he really cares about me or doesn't care about me. Or let me see if he's about his business or if he can, he's, if he's a protector or whatever. And sometimes it's hard to discern what is a test and what is not. So I just rely on consistency. Oh, you don't like being called girl. You tell me once, twice, three times, four times, by the sixth time or sometimes like, okay, you really don't like being called girl, but I'm going to dismiss it first, like five times, you know, in a sense, you know, depending on the individual that that might be like considered emotional abuse. But like you said, like your background being part of it, like, you know, coming from a Catholic church, like that didn't really care about you and everything. You were forced to that situation. Like with some men, like also like trained by the society to think a certain way, like in relationships, let's say, oh, the man is, you know, the protector or the dominant person or the whatever. How do we teach men to be more, or not just men, how do we teach perpetrators of emotional abuse, no matter, you know, if you're in a, you know, whatever type of relationship you're in, if you're in a gay relationship or whatever, to be more sensitive towards your partners? That's one question. And is it also possible that sometimes victims of emotional abuse in a relationship can be emotionally abusive to the perpetrator in certain instances as well? I think, oh God, there's huge questions there. Um, I think first thing that's really important is that like, let's not overuse the word emotional abuse because everybody makes mistakes, you know? And it might be like someone forgets that I hate being called girl and they call me it again. And it's like, I'm not gonna be like, oh my God, you're so abusive. And emotional abuse isn't just one behavior. Which well. seems it, like that's what's going on right now in today's world, it right? It can, I'm, I'm sure it can seem like that, you know? Uh, emotional abuse happens as a pattern and it's across many things and it's many behaviors tied in together. Um, so like, again, you were talking about like um, being dismissive, you know, um, if if it was a thing like, I don't like being called girl and you were like, you know, dismissive of it, call me again. And I'd be like, oh, why'd you do that? You know, and you'd be like, oh, I was just, just blah, 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 making sure and be like, well, yeah, I do. I do mean it you know, can you, can you please stop? And it's like, then that's, that's the conversation. If it's like something that it's in bed that I say, like, please don't insert something in me and you ignore that, that's more serious, you know? And that's physical abuse. Exactly. That's rape. So it's like, you can't say, cause someone's dismissive about calling you girl, that they're abusive. Cause it's, again, it's the context of what is happening right in front of you and what is happening in the bigger picture. Like, oh, you know, he's, you know, he was dismissive about calling me girl, but you know what? There's no other signs of emotional abuse. He's considerate. He's this, he's that, you know, I, I might just have a chat about like how the dismissiveness is a bit annoying, you know? And, you know, I think you raised a really good point here is we are all raised in a cult. We're all raised in this cult of playing fucking games, you know? 
um, of being told how we should behave because of whatever gender is given us to birth or the color of our skin or where we're born. And because of that, we're not being ourselves. We're playing games, you know, for me to be like, oh, I'm going to do this just to see how you react. I'm not being authentic. I'm not being honest. I'm not being vulnerable. And those are three things that are really needed for a healthy relationship, you know? So that's a bit like where you can say like, you know, where it's a toxic relationship where the two people are behaving in ways that are about winding each other up and about power instead of authentically relating, you know? And authentically relating is really difficult because we've been taught all our lives, listen, you use humor, you know, you use sarcasm, you use this, let me tell you how women work. Okay, you know, everyone loves rules. Like, give me those rules. I'm going to learn them. They help me feel safe. They help me feel like I know how to do this. I know how to play the game. I've got a formula I can follow. You take that away. What are you left with? You're left with yourself. And is that, is that enough to bring to the person you want to be with? and how you really feel and what you really want to say and what you really care about, what you really like and what you really don't like. Very few people have the courage to go there and very and nobody is taught how to. Interesting. Maybe the world doesn't just reward vulnerability in a way. That's why people want to make money or people want to, I don't know, leave fake lives on Instagram because if you're, if you're living your authentic self, like the world doesn't reward it. And, you know, at least not in public. Maybe in secret, if you pour your vulnerability on the song or, or a piece of art, people can relate to that vulnerability because everyone is, has been vulnerable. But maybe it's healthier to, to just know as human beings, like, you know, different emotions. You can't be at your A game every time. Um, but that, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty, you know, insightful stuff. Like, I want to touch on the cult stuff a little bit as well. Like, um, I, I wanted you to finish your, your train of thought, so I didn't want to interject there. but. What do you mean when you said you were kind of like in a cultish situation? Uh, what was that? Well, it's again, it, it goes back to um, the motivation around people's behavior, you know? So there's plenty of people out there who are running, you know, like everything from yoga classes to like, like a do this thing, it'll change your life, you know, kind of format. Um, and I think, you know, humans, a, a lot of us, you know, feel fundamentally broken and that's why we act so fake like you were just saying mm -hmm. and behave in these ways um that are not really about us they're about how we want to be seen you know and how we want to get what we want without having to admit that's what we want you know and yeah i've always been really spiritual you know and i think that's why i was so sensitive to those messages from the catholic church um so yeah i um i joined this group and a lot of the exercises we would do were like about this, like sitting with another person in silence for two minutes, you know, and just feeling that as intimacy. Um, so it's like it's, it's under this umbrella of something called conscious sexuality of like um, really relating on a level where all that bullshit is, is kind of torn away. Sorry, so did like, you say conscious or counter? Conscious. Conscious. Got yeah, it. it is counter as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. wanted to confirm. <laughs> you know, and like maybe like, again, you might be totally, you'd be totally clothed, you know, um, this isn't some weird thing, but like, it wasn't that out there is what I'm saying, you know, um, you'd be totally clothed and just say, just be like, 
oh, I, I'd really like you to hold my hand, you know, oh, I'd really like to do this. And the person could say yes or no on where it was and their boundaries. So essentially it was these very simple activities that were taking us back to basics of like all the stuff I just said, asking for what you want, being honest with yourself with what you want, and then mm -hmm. say, sharing that with another, coping with rejection when it's not what someone else is kind of nice. game for, you know? And nice. Yeah, just like really slow it down and make it really simple, you know, and just having those straightforward conversations of I like this. Great. You know, I don't like this. Great. And knowing that's nothing to do with me, you know, mm, like nice. you're not insulting me when you're saying that, you know, I just I made a mistake because I call everyone that great, you know, so really quite like about building ourselves as as humans, you know, and trying to love ourselves. Um, before relating to other people and um yeah like unfortunately again where there's power you know it'll attract it does attract people who don't have the best intentions you know and right. like you know the majority of people i've met are absolutely lovely people who ha are doing this work because it's important because they want to help people because they've been through it themselves and find it really helpful and they want other people to have that experience um and then you know unfortunately i ended up in a group that was kind of headed by this uh this guy and he was formerly like a very corporate london person um they're sorry they're genderqueer so i'll use they pronouns um and there was just little things first started where I was like, I'm not sure they practice what they preach, you know, um, they would take rejection really badly and get really angry, you know, um, and blame, go into blaming, you know, because you didn't want to do something with them. And then it would be usually the woman's fault, you know, is how the world works. So even though they were kind of like creating this community where it was like, we could be free from all of this, um, they were still bringing a lot of that um, toxic stuff from the outside world with them into the space. And um, they, you know, they made comments about women's appearance. They made comments about stuff. I think the biggest thing to spot in a cult leader or an abusive person as well is they, they appear to, or they put on this air that they're a real expert in stuff that they've no training in. Firstly, then when you question them, they react really negatively, you know, so they'll either do the victim thing, like I said earlier, or they'll go into blaming and anger, you know, um, they also do this thing, which is very clever, where they pretend to know more about you than you do yourself. That's quite mm. related to this gaslighting thing that goes on now, you know, mm. so like, um, like once I was talking about someone I fancied in the space, and I was like, yeah, I really want a relationship with where I can, I don't know, feel really seen and feel really free and feel really da -da. And they were like, oh, but that person you fancy isn't going to give you that, you know? And it's like, you know, you're not psychic, you know? You're not like king of fucking everything. Right. <laughs> like there is no way you can know that. But again, they had used this walking on eggshells thing. So if I turned around and was like, hey, I don't, I don't find that comment very helpful you know, or look, I think you're being really judgmental. They would have freaked out and shouted at me. So what's the name of this group? Can you share or? I don't want to share yet. I think oh, I will no, one day, fine. but I, yeah, I don't, mm. I don't want to share yet because I've got some stuff going on about it. Um, but um, 
yeah so I would say just whenever you see someone kind of behaving like that run a million miles away you know and, and things I see in good leaders is that they acknowledge they don't know everything or they yeah they say that famous phrase like I don't know I'm not sure I could be wrong or oh do you know uh, this other person knows a lot more about that can I introduce you or you know, can, I, I recommend this book, you know, because the book is more informative. So yeah, and just anyone who tries to tell you about what you are, or who you are, or who other people are, it's like, we're complex beings. And yes, you can spot patterns, you know, um, you know, and sometimes we're told things, we're told what the patterns are. But ultimately, if it's patterns where like, no one's being hurt everyone deserves a chance you know what would it be like to come to your next date with absolutely no presumptions of how that person would behave you know for example but like um yeah so that that expert or or they would say like no you don't you don't really think that or you know um another thing that's quite used with those types of people is that like when you mention a boundary or like that something like that it was a block so um at the time I was like exclusively sleeping with women I wasn't dating men at all and that was kind of like a it was kind of treated like it was something wrong with me and that it was something I needed to work through and if there was anything that was their agenda that I said no to it was treated like that you know so it'd be like oh grace can I can I come over here and um, give you a shoulder massage? And I would say, oh no, I, I really don't feel like being touched right now. It would be, hey, you know, you're here to do relating. So I think you should push yourself to relate with me. When it's like, actually the biggest relation we do is with ourselves. And right now my body is saying no, you know? Um, so similarly, like there wasn't a lot of that. There wasn't a lot of honoring yourself as a person it was kind of going straight into relating with other people right um, right and that was the yeah. purpose of the group i guess that's why the way and manner you know that was carried out you know was just wrong all the way wrong and i see what you're saying like i can relate that to even like race relations like there's no such thing as systemic mm -hmm. racism get over it why do you black people always complain you know i've never gone through anything so why are you you know all that fun stuff. You know what I really appreciate about a conversation like you, you know, I've had a couple of people on the podcast. I've had, you know, tons of conversations. Sometimes it's hard to determine how genuine people are. But, you know, I, I appreciate that, you know, you come off as really genuine, like you're really walking the walk, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, by joining all these groups, doing your independent research, you know, blogging about it, going on interviews, even with podcasting, like you have a podcast called uh, Women Versus Everything, you know, which is a pretty interesting podcast. I think you pick like, you, you have a co-host, you, you pick like a, a certain woman from a particular time in history, talk about her trials and tribulations and, you know, what the general macro environment was during the time and how it affected that trial. I mean, as a podcaster myself, like I must say, like I respect it because, you know, podcasts like that, that really dive into that type of research is a reason why I think the format of podcasting was actually created because, you know, I do the easy stuff that's this can be done on radio, you know, just me talking to someone else. But you want to tell our guests a little about your podcast, a very interesting name, by the way, Women Versus Everything, and, you know, where they can find it and what they hope to expect when they subscribe. Yeah, thank you. 
thank you so much and I just I just yeah I just hope I really enjoyed this chat as well um yeah women versus everything is uh an idea I sat on for a while um where you know I think it is social media that our attention spans are really short now but I was a bit sick of seeing these things come up and it was like hey this is a woman and on this day she she did this amazing thing and isn't that great she was the first nurse she was the first this and ta-da goodbye and I'm like no man I'm like <laughs> let oh, me I've tell seen you a lot why that's that being women history month right <laughs> I mean you must get it with black people as well like you know they right. just did it they just mm-hmm. they just walked away you know like <laughs> no contact whatsoever exactly and i'm like a lot of that history was deliberately not put into the history books so yeah um, yeah sorry to cut you short no completely because it's like you know the patriarchy doesn't want to admit how fucking shit they made things and how difficult they made things for these women to come and create and and now they've gone and done it it's like oh look what we did you know (laughs) you know (laughs) like so yeah so I was really sick of that and I was like let me tell you the more the more I become more outspoken and do these interviews and things that there is at least five more people saying I'm a bitch and saying you know I don't know anything and I shouldn't be doing it and you know they probably have a point but you know like you know so I'm like I want to hear about that I want to hear about all the people who called her a bitch and all the people who like you know told her to go home and get back in the kitchen and like you know I, I want to hear that those juicy details because um it's you know it's gaslighting me as a woman to say that I can just I can just go and be a boss wow I, like I can't it's fucking difficult you know I'm gonna I'm gonna lose friends along the way and um oh sorry I'm, I'm getting so impassioned about it <laughs> no please you know, and I want to hear this story of like, yeah, she did it and she lost friends along the way and her family rejected her, but she kept at it, you know, and that's the hard part is the keeping at it, the perseverance. So, yeah, so my co-host, Jess Amy, she's an amazing journalist and writer. She, uh, one of us each week chooses the woman and then we email the other one, the period of time and the kind of themes that come up. And then, so we record it. And so one of us has the context and one of us has her story and we sew it together on air and see if it works and see if it makes sense. And sometimes, you know, there's always something. So even the times it hasn't worked as I would have pictured it, it still worked because it's like, well, you know, actually maybe this person was very privileged and they were middle-class and all my research about the context is about, you know, the crack epidemic and lower class. And it's like, well, that's still relevant. You know, it's still great to hear that. And yeah, if if that didn't affect her, that's fine. You know, but it was still going on at the time, you know, and at some point, you know, I'm thinking like, yeah, at some point, you know, we did Lorraine Hansberry um, at one point and like, that's who I'm talking about is she was, um, she was caught from a quite middle-class family in the, ooh, I can't remember what year, <laughs> but um, what it was century? like, what, 1700s, it was 1800s? 19, no, it was 19th century. Let me bring okay. her up here. Recent. And, and how many of these uh, episodes have you done so far? How many personalities or women have so you So we've just covered? recorded our fifth and there's four on the air. Um, so Congratulations. Yeah, she's in the 30s to the 60s, Lorraine Hansberry. And like, right. so she was, 
middle class but because she was black she was just read everywhere she went as being from from like oh you're from those slums in chicago you know um so it's it's really interesting because it's just again it's so intersectional and it's kind of you know as a white person with my blind spots i'm like oh yeah intersectionalism and yes race and my my head gets it but i don't i don't really get it you know right and then looking into it in this way and in this context of women that i I'm rooting for you know then it's like it's kind of like my body gets it you know I get it on a different level you know well that's pretty interesting not just uh uh an intersectionality of races but even geographically as well talking about an American woman in in the 30s um yeah like that's that's pretty amazing I encourage you guys to also research some of the African queens out there in the early 17th 15th century uh as well that'll be pretty cool but Wow, I enjoyed this. Uh, th- this was really refreshing. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people kind of like have an agenda or whatever. But, you know, I uh, like I said, I appreciate, you know, uh, you coming off as genuine and uh, I really wish you the best in everything uh, you're going to be doing going forward. You want to drop your, like your social media handles or websites if people want to connect with you, if people want to learn, sure. learn more about yeah. what you do. So the podcast again is Women Versus Everything, and that's our handle on uh, social media. And I'm Love in Disgrace on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram. I really don't like Twitter. <laughs> Are you having any luck on Twitter? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> um, so Love and Disgrace, mostly on Instagram, uh, and I have a Facebook page. And um, yeah, and my website is loveanddisgrace.co.uk, and I should be dropping some of my independent research about emotional abuse and polyamory on there in the next few weeks. If you sign up to the newsletter, you'll get notified when that starts. Nice, nice. I think that's the name of the episode, Love and Disgrace. That's an interesting name, by the way. <laughs> it plays on your first name, but it's also. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely and it was you know like um oh just you know just being myself and being a bit outrageous and funny and this old workplace I used to be in like they used to be like um Grace you're a disgrace and I just loved it <laughs> <laughs> it was so perfect and yeah I'm not graceful so <laughs> right 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 well I really appreciate this interview you know whenever I'm in uh I still haven't been to Europe, anywhere in Europe, have I? I don't think I have. Huh. I'll probably put Ireland on the bucket list, but yeah, I'll be I'll definitely Dude, be reaching stay out. Stay in touch. I'll buy um, you a pint. <laughs> most definitely. Although I'm trying to be a wine guy now, but you know, I live in Colorado, so there's no getting away from the beer over here. Oh. Um, but it's all good. Um, as usual, uh, you guys can follow us on social media as well as Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Check out our website, cultureclasspodcast.com. We're doing our best to revamp our YouTube page uh, and, you know, our Patreon as well. So um, hopefully you guys can get some form of visuals in the coming months. I uh, will keep you updated with that as well as our, you know, soundtrack project and all the things we're working on. Uh, Till next time, you guys be well. <laughs>